This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got Mark Milke from markmilke.com on the program. Yeah, I mean, Mark Milke is basically a professional thinker. He's right. written a bunch of books, uh, writes three, four columns a week, and he recently wrote a piece in McLean's called BC's Real Estate Speculation Tax Will Reserve Homes for the Ultra Rich, right. which we found very fascinating, and, and we asked him on, and uh, we're lucky enough to have him today. Absolutely, and really interesting ideas around the speculation tax, also around rent control. Yeah, I mean, the ill effect of rent control on uh, the market here over the long term, I think, is an idea that we haven't talked much about. Um, And Mark's definitely got some opinions on that. I mean, he, he... He's a professional contrarian, so stay tuned. It's it's good stuff for sure, for sure. And before we get there, I mean, Adam, you're you're looking buff uh, as Thanks. usual, uh, and uh, you've I'm, been, I'm you've, wearing spanks. Yeah, you've you've been working out, and uh, but it sounds like you might actually get a shot at the Canucks. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, I've been I've been working out at at, at this gym for maybe six months or yeah, so, once a Try, week. Yeah, <laughs> once a week. So I skip it every second or third week. Um, but I, I, have uh, been working out with a personal trainer who's fantastic. Like I, you know what? I mean, I, I've got a, a, a great recommendation for a personal trainer if anyone wants one. Cause he's, so he's go awesome. to Vancouver real estate podcast.com <laughs> and sign up for yeah. slash personal trainer. Yeah. Um, no, no, I, I, I've got a guy who's, who's amazing that I've been seeing. He's been helping me out with, um, but he some body and- dysmorphia. <laughs> 
And he basically, what you told me, which makes sense, is it's really hard not to show up to the gym when there's somebody waiting for you there who you're well, paying for. It's all about accountability. My whole life is about accountability, right? I, I mean, basically, I, I try and outsource everything that that you know that isn't related to real estate, and I try to make sure that I have an, some kind of deliverable or accountability that I that I have yeah. to make sure that I I get it done and. You know, it doesn't fall by the wayside. So anyways, I, the best, the craziest thing is, is I'm working out there. I, I started adding Thursday to the mix and I look to my left and there is this completely, I mean, one of our favorite former Canucks yeah. right beside me working out. He's with another trainer. I'm with my trainer. We're kind of... Uh, Fist bumping. Yeah, I would. You know, it, it's crazy because I don't usually was work out just, that hard. I'm the it, type of guy to cheat. Yeah, was it just the two of you in a in a it, small room? We were or? kind of in this one section of the gym, and I just uh, I don't know. I felt like I mean I you know he didn't even probably notice I was in the room, but to me it was like we were like you know we it was like just the High two fives. of us. Yeah, I was like I was like encouraging. I was coaching him from the sidelines. <laughs> Um, but you got, you got this, man. You got this. You got this. One more. One more. Um, Meanwhile, he's probably it's like a walk in the park from what he's used to. I, I think that of- I think that he had like his workouts. Like you know, it's just he works out every day. He's in incredible shape. I'm not in very good shape. Um, but anyways, afterwards, the biggest thing for me is I've got this like renewed, rejuvenated childhood like dream that I'm gonna somehow be he drafted. Might, he might see something in you. <laughs> yeah. I know, but I've been like wearing my skates around the house and like, you know, just to make sure they're molding properly. And I'm in the garage stick handling on a, on a sheet of plexiglass. And uh, I, I really think he probably saw something in you. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he probably forgot the whole thing 10 seconds later, but uh, stay tuned for the draft. Yeah. <laughs> Wait for it. But, I, but one more thing before we uh, get to Mark Milke here. Right. The new podcast we have, Vancouver Presale Condos podcast, which oh. is on iTunes itself. What a treat. Yeah, we're, we have a new episode coming out uh, with Jason Turcott, the Vice President of Development over at Cressy. If you don't know who Cressy is, you've been under a rock. They're, they're one of Vancouver's premier developers. I think they're like 60 years in Vancouver they've been building. Some of the, some of the nicest product. And I think back, Sean Anderson, the inspector, was on a long time ago. We said top three developers, and Cressy was on that list yeah, for sure. He's so. one of the biggest inspectors in Vancouver. He's yeah. inspected thousands of buildings, and he loves Cressy. Whenever he sees Cressy product, he, he knows that the inspection is going to go well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so head over to, uh, well, check it out on iTunes or on our website under the knowledge section. Yeah. But um, yeah, if you want to learn about Chelsea and Vancouver, it's a new presale coming up in the Canby Corridor, Canby and 31st. Listen to that episode with Jason Turcott, the Vice President of Development. It is a great episode and you'll learn a lot about the project. You'll find out everything you want to know about that project for sure. So without further ado, Matt, let's cut to our interview with Mark Milke. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Mark Milke, author, columnist, and uh, the founder of markmilke.com. How are you doing, Mark? I'm good. Thanks, gentlemen, Adam and Matt, for having me on. Yeah, no, thanks for taking the time today. So, so Mark, can you maybe start by just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I grew up, I was born and raised in beautiful British Columbia in Kelowna. Uh, I mean, it's paradise to grow up there. In high school, I remember when I had a spare, it was about three or four blocks from... Uh, 
It's in the city beach. So, uh, I mean, as everyone knows, BC is a lovely place to live, and I was very fortunate to grow up there. And I've been back and forth between British Columbia and Alberta and other places in my career. Wow. Uh, most recently, I was in Victoria between 1999 and 2002 uh, to do some work for the organization I was then employed for, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. So, uh, Miss BC, especially when it snows in March in Calgary, which it has been like crazy. Wow. Well, Matt and I are from Winnipeg, so when we used to uh, get a spare, we'd sit in a snowbank. <laughs> or or <laughs> and, a vacant and parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> you have my activities. <laughs> and, and you did you work for the Fraser Institute as as well, Mark? At one point, I did. Yeah, I was I was their Alberta guy between 2010 and 2015. So I've got a long history of, I guess, a bit of uh, advocacy on uh, more careful spending by governments and taxation issues with the Taxpayers Federation and lots of policy uh, work for the Fraser Institute and others. I've done some stuff for Canadian, American, and European think tanks. And these days, I'm a full-time author and columnist writing for the Globe and Mail and McLean's and Calgary Herald and occasionally the Vancouver Sun. So. Right. So th- that's actually a great segue because we, we, had, we, we asked you on uh, today to talk about your article in McLean's BC's real estate speculation tax will reserve homes for the ultra-rich. Um, Mark, if you can, are you able to just unpack your argument uh, for your piece of McLean's? You bet. So let's start with kind of where BC's been. Uh, if you want prices of something to be lower, uh, what do you do? Well, you either need to decrease demand or you need to increase supply or some combination of both. I mean, that's just basic supply and demand. Right. Think about where British Columbia has been over the last 40 years. So let, let's think about the first supply limiting measure actually brought in by the British Columbia NDP in their first uh, term in the 1970s, their first time in government, where they brought in the BC Agricultural Land Reserve. Now, I know lots of people love it. Uh, it looks very pretty if you buy something nearby it and you get to see green space. But um, there are a whole number of problems with it, which I won't go into today. But one of them is that, of course, that, that limits supply. Now, even if you love that and think it's okay to restrict the property rights of farmers and not be able to sell it for market value and so on and so forth, um, okay, Nevertheless, that limits supply, supply of land for development. Uh, there are other measures that uh, are in place, of course, in municipalities. So West Vancouver, for example, restricts the development of skyscrapers. It's biased towards single-family homes. Mm-hmm. You can like that or, or hate that or whatever, but all of that limits supply. Let's look at another factor that will increase uh, or decrease the uh, possibility for supply in apartments, rent control. Rent control has been in D.C. for some time. I'm not sure when it first came in, but I know it's in place is in place under the B.C. Liberals. It's, of course, still in place under the B.C. NDP. Well, what do we know about rent control? Here i got to tell you, economists from left to right, right to left, do not like rent control because uh, it says to an investor, you might want to put your money somewhere else other than a rental unit because you may not be able to make a decent return. In fact, you may be in the red every year if you can't increase your rents to, uh, to match your costs or, or just match the market. Uh, so that drives down supply. In fact, one a couple of famous Swedes, uh, left-wing Swedes, uh, were critical of rent control. Uh, one was Nobel Prize winner Gunnar Myrdal, um, and he often pointed out rent control as counterproductive policy. Another left-wing Swedish economist had a memorable phrase. Asser Lindbeck uh, once famously said, quote, In many cases, rent control appears to be the most efficient technique presently known to destroy a city, except for bombing it, unquote. So, I mean, this is a Swedish left-wing economist, not crazy about rent control. So you put all these factors together. 
uh, restrictions on the supply of land for development, uh, local housing restrictions, so on and so forth, and rent control. You've already got a supply issue. You're already restricting the, poss- restricting the possibility for supply in British Columbia in many places. And then, of course, you add some natural factors, you know, the ocean, the mountains, and the rest of it. All of this, of course, makes, as you know, and your listeners know, living in some places in British Columbia expensive. Mm-hmm. Now, add to that the new speculation tax. Um, you add that to the other factors I just mentioned. And to cut to the chase, I mean, how is this going to encourage investment in British Columbia? Uh, so, for example, you're, you're a British Columbian who might own a vacation property. Maybe you're a grandfather slash carpenter who built something a couple of decades ago, and maybe you and your kids and grandkids and your, your wife go to this, this place, this cabin, uh, every summer. Maybe it's habitable for the rest of the year. Uh, maybe it's not. But under this new speculation tax, it looks like, and regardless of what the finance minister says, it looks like you're going to nailed by this 2% tax. Suppose your property is worth 300000 might be worth a lot more than that. But even on a $300,000 property, that 2% speculation tax for property that's not what, what the government calls long-term leased out, well, that, that 2% tax is 6000 bucks. Maybe your property tax is 2000 bucks. The province has effectively quadrupled the tax. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll stop and take a breath here, but that's, that's one example of where the tax may have unintended consequences, and it's not clear yet that the province understood that coming in. To, uh, to imposing this tax, uh, and it's not clear yet where they're going to go to get out of the mess they have created. So, so Mark, maybe before, and I know you have some other um, points about the speculation tax, but I just had one question about the uh, the rent control, because this is something that we don't hear all that much um, about here in Vancouver. In fact, most people are talking about, you know, the rents are out of control uh, and all the rest. You actually make the point that rent control is is bad for renters in a down market. Can you unpack that a little bit? Because... Uh, that was that was a point that I, I wasn't familiar with. Sure, you bet. I mean, think about what happens in uh, if you have rent control in what I'd call normal times, um, where there appears to be uh, a demand. Or, or sorry, uh, let, let's unpack this a different way. Um, let's go to Alberta, where there hasn't been rent control, and when the economy booms, what are people going to start doing? Because there's all sorts of demand, all sorts of people flying into the province. I mean, this was happening for probably 15 years in the case of Alberta, when oil was at, uh, at its uh, higher prices than it is now. Right. Uh, I mean, the economy was, was a bit healthier. So you had lots of apartment buildings being rent by, uh, built for, for rental um, by, by companies that, uh, that wanted to rent out these units. You had lots of apartments being built, some of which were bought by individual investors that would then rent them out. Now, in other words, they were reacting to the market, right? They saw the rents go up. They went, yeah, let's, uh, let's try and, and uh, make a buck here uh, on an apartment. Well, what happens if you have rent control during those boom times? You're not going to see as much uh, apartment buildings, uh, as many apartment buildings being built because maybe the return simply isn't going to be there even in a high demand time, right? Even when people are flowing into the province, if you can't raise your rents to, to, to match you know, the market, um, you actually decrease the incentives for people to build apartment buildings or entire rental blocks, and um, therefore you're going to get less supply. What that means is supply is constricted even further. When a tenant moves out, then maybe you can raise the rent. Um, 
okay, but that constricts supply. People are sure. looking ahead going, I don't know if I can, you know, I can't, I can't make the numbers work, right? You take out a mortgage, you put 20% down as an individual, but you can't make the numbers work um, if you can't uh, match the market price. Well, the effect of all this, if you've got less supply coming on the market during the boom times, then when the market craters, as frankly it has in Alberta over the last three years, there's not as much supply in the market, so your supply is still going to be tight. And what does that mean? It means you've got no competition from other landlords for tenants. Uh, you're not going to reduce your rents, so your rents are still going to stay high. I mean, that's that's the basic problem. Right, is, so it sounds like it's, you know, it's almost uh, a more st- stable market, in a sense, in B.C. than, say, Alberta, because the, your, the incentives are greater in Alberta at one point to build – uh, and on in downtimes, there's more supply because, you know, people have left. Yeah, I mean, I would pastures. say stable, stable in quotes. What I'm saying is BC is not getting the rental supply it should. And in fact, you see that now. Mm-hmm. That actually puts upward pressure on rents. Now, obviously, if you've got a law in place that says you can only raise rents by 2% or 3% or whatever it is, uh, then the tenant who's in the building uh, is just fine. But the, the problem is uh, for tenants, when a tenant moves out, and the landlord says, great, I can match the market price, finally, at mm-hmm. least for a new tenant. Well, uh, you know, that means your, your rents are going to be higher if you're a tenant searching for a new place. You're a new person in the province or, you know, you graduated from university, uh, so on and so forth. So, again, there's just, a, there's just a constriction on the supply of new units coming out of the market, either, you know, big buildings that, uh, that are full of rental units entirely, or individual uh, investment in condominiums that might be rented out. Mm-hmm. So again, BC's approach is just a let's constrict supply approach, and then people wonder why rents are high, because every time a tenant moves out and the landlord can jack up the price, of course they're going to do that. The only thing that constricts that naturally is a lot of supply in the market, and that's what I mean about Alberta. Right now, there is plenty of supply in Edmonton and Calgary, and uh, you as a tenant can... You, you've got the advantage. I mean, landlords have to cut their rents, offer you free cable, you know, I mean, dance in your kitchen table if they need to to get you to come in, like whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah. right, right. So risk and reward. Yeah, I mean, it, you're, you're letting the market respond to demand, the demand curve. Uh, it's as simple as that by, by allowing supply to come in the market. So BC's, BC's policies are counterproductive when it comes to rent control, even though as a renter, obviously, you like it in the short term. But then you better not move from your apartment anytime soon in the next 50 years because uh, you will face the market price for, for a unit that, uh, that is open. Mm-hmm. And it will be higher than it should be. That's, again, renters don't necessarily think ahead, but they should, and that's why they should oppose rent control. So, Mark, in your opinion, what types of policies would have been a, a better approach at this current junction in Vancouver's affordability crisis? Well, again, it's a decades-long thing. Uh, demolish rent control, open up supply. Um, you know, if British Columbians, and again, I'm sort of one of them, you know, ex officiato, uh, if I could say it, uh, if British Columbians want green space, well, you got to pay for it. You can't just restrict private property. Um, you know, and if you want lower rents, then you've got to, you've got to let uh, land be developed, uh, including skyscrapers to be built in places where maybe some of the neighbors don't like it. So, I mean, you've got to allow for more supply into the market. You've got to allow for the market to work. And right now, there's a lot of restrictions in British Columbia that don't. There's no way to get around that. More supply is what will decrease uh, the price of housing, either for rentals or for buying. And the speculation tax, to get back there, is an additional problem. Because, again, what it does is it says to investors in the province or outside of the province, unless you fulfill these conditions, which, by the way, at this point are completely unclear – 
in the finance ministry memo about the speculation tax, unless you fulfill these conditions, uh, we're going to nail you with this tax that basically quadruples your property taxes. Um, so that's crazy. I mean, think about, again, some couple that maybe they're in Alberta or Ontario want to uh, want to invest in British Columbia or maybe stay there for a couple months in the summertime, rent out the apartment maybe eight months of the year to a student. It's not clear yet if a speculation tax is going to hit them because they're not renting it out full-time. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. It's also not clear um, if they pay the speculation tax and then they're supposed to get some sort of compensation, some refund later on, whether they will, because the way the memo from the Ministry of Finance is written is that uh, people will get a refund based on their BC income tax paid. Mm -hmm. But of course, if you're in Alberta or Ontario, there is no BC income tax to be refunded to you for the, for the speculation tax you've paid. So frankly, I think the government charged ahead with a bit of an ideological axe uh, I mean, and they've ignored the real problem, which is perhaps at the federal level. I mean, we know this is not news to you. I mean, you've read, you know, some of the reporting in Vancouver on mob money from China or Russia funneled through casinos. We know there's illicit money in British Columbia. Um, all right, so deal with that at the federal level. Deal with it in the immigration system, and I'm pro-immigration. But deal with, with those money flows. Uh, get to those money flows. Don't punish what the province now considers speculators, right. which are investors from Calgary or Toronto or Regina or, you know, even in-province investors. But that's what they've done. They've taken a, a battle axe to, you know, what is a more finely tuned problem that should be dealt with with scissors. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It makes my metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. We've been doing this podcast for a while and talking about, you know, housing affordability. And, and when that the money laundering through the casinos came out, I was like, oh, it's just another thing, you know, another uh, issue that people have an axe to grind to kind of. Uh, add to onto the pile of housing and, and potentially muddy the waters here as to what is actually required. Um, one clear one question I had for you, Mark, is with the speculation tax. Um, you know, we're 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 real estate agents here. We're talking to clients who are going to be impacted. Why do you think it's so unclear? Like, is there a strategy involved in in uh, you know rolling out? Uh, a speculation tax that actually is not about speculation and is very unclear how it's going to impact everyone for months on end and create this kind of uncertain climate? Well, I think you hit on it in your question. I don't think there was a strategy. I think somebody in the bowels of, of the NDP government decided to come out with a tax that they thought would sort of hit the problem. They may have been well-intentioned, but they didn't think it through. I mean, they didn't talk to economists who know something about rent control and supply and demand. Um, so I think it was a bit of a, an ideologically inspired tax. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time that a government has done things like this. So I, I think that's where it came from. They simply didn't think it through. They didn't think through how do you, you know, if you've got a problem with illicit money flows, which are adding to the demand, right? Let's be clear about that. They're adding to the demand in Vancouver and elsewhere in the province. Okay, deal with those illicit money flows, which would require, I think, a more targeted, thoughtful uh, approach, which might take a little bit longer than, Maybe someone sitting around a caucus table in Victoria uh, who's in government who says, wouldn't this be a great idea, or, or this is suggested to them by who knows, who knows whom. So I think the government made a mistake by rushing into this instead of working with the federal government on issues of, of money flows into, into British Columbia and, frankly, in Canada that come from places where 
you know, the money was obtained illegally or fraudulently or criminally. Uh, so I think there's there's a number of things there they could have done. It just would have taken a little bit more time, and uh, maybe they wanted to show. Uh, you know, think about how politics work works. Uh, politicians will often, um, in the heat of an election campaign, make promises that they have no idea how they're going to fulfill. Sounds good, you know, at the present time, and uh, but it's not. I mean, and to the point of my article, I mean, the end point of my article is the irony of all of this is who who's going to be able to afford to buy. In Vancouver, if you got to pay, or anywhere else in the province where this tax will apply, uh, if you're rich, you can afford a six thousand uh, dollar speculation tax on your three hundred thousand dollar condo, or a nine hundred thousand dollar condo in Vancouver. You can afford eighteen thousand dollars in a speculation tax. What what the province has done with a speculation tax, though, is say to I would say medium income Canadians who might want to buy a property in British Columbia, rent it out, you know. A, chunk of the year, living it maybe in the summer, you know, dollar condo in Vancouver, um, and try and rent it out only part of the year, and then you want to stay there a couple of months, you're still going to get hit by a $12,000 tax on a $600,000 condo. I mean, so again, who does that reserve the market for? It reserves the market for the very rich, which is not obviously their intent, but that's the unintended consequence of coming out with a promise in an election campaign, and then in their budget, Speaking of the provincial government, uh, they're they're going to reserve BC just for the rich, as if it wasn't already more difficult already to buy in British Columbia if you're not of high income. So, so speaking to that, then Mark, so what do you think the repercussions will be for the market, and which segments of the market do you think will be hit the hardest? Well, I'm no expert on 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 markets and housing. I, I can I, I can just foresee though. I mean, you'd think that again, if if a government comes in with something that seems to damage a certain part of the market, uh, you know, what I call lower and, and you know, middle-priced condominiums, that those are the ones, unless the government makes it absolutely clear pretty quickly uh, what they're up to, uh, that that's the part of the market that's going to suffer, at least in the short term, and maybe in the medium to long term, depending on where the province goes with this legislation. Again, if, if the province decides that if you don't live in British Columbia, whether you're another Canadian or not, that you're going to have to pay the speculation tax if you're not renting it out 12 months a year. Well, that to me, I mean, that, that will send everybody outside of British Columbia saying, well, I'm not going to put 20% down on a condominium in Kelowna or White Rock or Vancouver because, you know, I'm going to pay this massive tax simply because I live outside of the, the borders of British Columbia, even though I'm Canadian. So that, that's, the, uh, that's the market, I guess, that would be hit. I mean, you would think, just stands to reason that that's going to weaken unless the province reverses. Excellent. So maybe we'll leave it there. But, uh, Mark, how can f- people find out more about what you're doing and, and how can they uh, read your, uh, your articles? You bet. Thank you. It, uh, if they go to markmilkey.com, so M-A-R-K-M-I-L-K-E.com, uh, they can contact me through that site and they can read all my columns uh, that, uh, that appear. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Mark. That was, that was fascinating. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great day. You as well. Take care. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Mark Milke, professional thinker and founder of markmilke.com. Super interesting conversation with Mark. Uh, really, really interesting about how this could have an inf- adverse effect for renters in Vancouver 
And also what the speculation tax, like, I mean, it's crazy to think of what could happen in areas like Kelowna or also areas like, uh, you know, any of the islands or yeah. the Sunshine Coast. It's amazing to think, you know, that say the mayor of West Kelowna right now is is actually pleading with the NDP government to right. not enforce this tax because of the adverse effects on the economy there. For sure, um, for sure. You know, and I mean, I, I hope, you know, I mean, the details, it's, it's still... It's, it's muddled. And, you know, that was, I thought, a good question that you asked, Mark, about is there strategy in, in prolonging things? He said not not really. I don't think unintended strategy. But the reality is that what it does do is it, it to me and to people that we talk about, it's, it's just that further uncertainty about policy and the market itself, like I, how, I how actually, that impacts the market. I actually have market. some thoughts on this because I, I think there's two reasons why they, they the details are so sparse right now. One right. is... I think uncertainty leads to a slowdown in the market generally, which I think they see as a good Strategically, thing. Strategically, yeah. A strategic uncertainty in the market. Yep. Uh, second of all, they're they're looking at the debate that's raging right now and going to the polls, seeing how people are perceiving it, seeing how their base is perceiving it, yep. um, and they can walk stuff back, right? So right. it's not like set in stone. Um, you know, it gives them time to kind of play with it a bit. We're in the shock and awe period, right? And yeah. I mean, and and uh, we're definitely seeing impacts out on in the market. I mean, I, I think you know the market is really strong still, but a lot it's everybody's talking about it, right? Yeah, and, and, and we're talking about it with our clients all the time yeah and and but where i'm talking seeing people bring it up are people that own properties outside of uh metro vancouver those are the the guys that are nervous yeah it was an excellent talk so hopefully you guys enjoyed that but before we go we should talk about vancouverrealestatepodcast.com yeah head over to vancouverrealestatepodcast.com it's got the best real estate news in the city on the ground real estate news and market updates and it's also got the best resources such as private client services adam what is private client services all about matt if you're not using private client services you are standing still while the rest of us are power walking by you get listing updates 36 to 72 hours before the general public you're going to get sold prices basically you get realtor level information right to your inbox and if you're keen to use your mobile phone and point it at a building to find out what's listed we've also got augmented reality <laughs> home spotter it's also on the site it's under the resources tab head over there sign up we'll get you set up for that you'll have the best resources to look for real estate in vancouver hands down but matt there's also other reasons to head to our site yeah i mean it's our site is we're getting tons of positive feedback but you can also sign up for the live wire you're going to get weekly updates on the market it's going to have tips tricks we got a deal of the month section. We're going to have the new pre-sales, uh, which projects we're talking about. For sure. Just, I mean, hey, it's a one-stop shop. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Check it out. And Matt, how can people reach you? 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And we all know that spring is just around the corner. So if you want to list your property, but you don't want to hurt Matt's feelings, contact us on the nonpartisan line, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Thanks so much, guys, and enjoy your week. Have a great week. Two thousand spaces for radio. Subscribe today.
Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 